morning, everyone. My name is Rob Jacobson. I'm the lead pastor at Restoration Covenant Church. And I believe that we think God loves everyone and that he makes broken things and makes them whole. He takes dead things and makes them alive. And that's what we celebrate on the Resurrection Sunday known as Easter. We celebrate that God took his son and made him alive. And sometimes when I think about that, I think we reflect on Easter and hope that it has more meaning and more transformation in our lives. Almost like like God was this all-powerful chemist and he took these elements and put them together and shook the thing and then poof, there was this reaction and all of a sudden Jesus was alive. And I, I don't mean that in a sacrilegious way at, at all. I just mean that we come to the story of the resurrection and we want transformation. And sometimes we walk away unchanged. And did God do something wrong? Did we do something wrong? And so today we're just honest about that. And I think that in the Bible, we're going to look at this story from this book called John in chapter 20. And it's, sor- it's stories around the resurrection. Seems appropriate for Easter, but maybe you're like, wait a second. Didn't you mean the story of the resurrection? Because you said around. I did. I actually used my words correctly. That's what I meant to say. Um, Because when we think about the resurrection, then we're going to that idea of God changed Jesus. He transformed him. He raised him from life. I want to be raised to life, and yet somehow I'm not. Well, I think if we look at these stories around the resurrection, we'll see the elements that we need for Easter to affect our everyday life. In John chapter 20, Jesus is raised from the dead and encounters three people. Three people who have very distinct responses that are going on before they really truly believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now I think this is part of the elements that we look at about this idea of seeing is believing. Maybe you've heard that before because Jesus says to Thomas, the guy that was in the video that we looked at, blessed are you that see without believing. Those are the people that, that I am really excited about. Like, Thomas, you see because you, you believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. This phrase, seeing is believing, that we've probably heard often in our lives, I think was trademarked actually in this event. We're all tempted to live by what we see. There are different elements in our life, like the element of style. You know, some of us got dressed up for Easter. It's a very appropriate thing to do. It's a special day, but... that. There's this little part of us that thinks if, if we look good, we'll feel a little more important, we'll designate the focus on Easter as being important, and, and that will matter. And it's, it's not bad, it's just acknowledging that. This idea that, that if we all came back tomorrow on the same day, different day, next day, same place, same time, do you know 90% of us would sit in the exact same place? Because even those of us who don't like routine love the element of predictability. It's this just part of who we are, like style, like predictability. And some of us, we might be home from college, and if we are, welcome, that's great. And if you're home from college and somebody asks you, hey, what are you, what are you doing? With, what, are you, what are you majoring in? What are you studying? And you say, oh, I'm you know, working on this and doing that. And they listen, okay. So what do you want to do after you're done with school? And you start describing 
this thing that's completely different from what you're majoring in. And the person gets this very confused look on their face, and they say, why, why are you going to school then? And there's this little bit of panic in you because you don't have a good answer for that. That was at least me. Um, it's maybe because of this element of certainty. Well, it seems like when people go to school, they have wider job options. They have the chance for more money. So it seems like the right thing to do. It's this element of certainty. We got style, we got predictability, we got certainty. And then there's some of us who are just a lot like Thomas. It's not just that we need to see to believe. It's that we need to see it, touch it, experiment on it, cut it up, control it, examine it, measure it, and then we'll believe. It's this element of control. Now, you might struggle with any number of these. I think Jesus meets us exactly where we're at. And we'll see in the story what elements we really need for Easter to affect our everyday. So, the story starts in John 20. And in, when Jesus... I'll just start. John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And so she ran to Simon and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken away my Lord. They have taken him from the tomb, and we don't know where they have placed him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. He bent over and looked and saw the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been lying on, or that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, the one who reached the tomb first, he also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I picture this story year after year after year as I've started to really, really say, Jesus, this is my whole life. You can have my whole life. What does this story mean? There's, there's all kinds of complex things going on in the story. Some, some of them are kind of confusing. Like, why did the writer have to say who, who made it to the tomb first? One went in and one didn't. Why, why did Mary... Uh, see the stone rolled away, and then believe that someone had stolen her, her savior. She didn't even go in and check. She didn't, she didn't need to verify that. And then why, why the details about the linens placed just where they were? See, some of us come to the story, and we have these questions, and we get this element of skepticism. Some of us hear these stories, or read these details, and, and we have this element of wonder. And no matter what we have, Jesus wants us to meet him there. And all of us have this seeing is believing attitude. Mary, she, she just saw the details of being, the stone being rolled away, and she almost missed it. She, she came to the tomb because that's what you did if you were a good Jewish person. The people in Jesus' day that were Jews, they took mourning of death seriously, very seriously. Like for seven days... You didn't wash, take a shower, 
you didn't, um, not only did you not wash, but you didn't work. Maybe that'd be okay. You also didn't do anything that normal married people do. We'll just leave it at that. And you didn't even, you didn't even read your Bible. I mean, this is what you needed to do if you were mourning, truly mourning. You'd, you'd dress in dark clothes. You'd be sad. You'd, and in the first three days, most of the time, you went to the tomb to do that. So, so Mary is following the religious routine. I got to do this because it's what I believe. She's secretly thinking that this is going to bring her life, that this is going to give meaning to her. And, and I don't knock her for it, but in the midst of that, she almost missed the life-changing elements of Jesus Christ resurrected in the story. Like, it says that she turned around. They, we switch from Peter and John. They leave. You know, if they really believed, it says John believed, but then he didn't understand. And then they went back to where they were staying. To me, they didn't quite understand the story if they just went back to their life. But it says that Mary stood out th- outside the tomb weeping and crying, and she bent over, and she looked in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. You know, everybody that would have gone to the tomb would have been mourning. They would have been wearing black, and they would have been crying. You know, sometimes Jewish legend is that, that people actually hire professional criers, people that can weep really loud because this person was so important to us. But the angels are in white. They're not mourning. And, and they say, woman, why are you crying? See, they know something that she hasn't figured out yet. But she says, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And with this, she turns around, and she sees Jesus standing there, but she doesn't realize that it was Jesus. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And she says, or she thinks it's the gardener. So I take that to mean that he's also not wearing black and he's also not crying. But she sees and believes. That's how she lives. If I see it, I believe it. So I see a man who is not dressed in black. He must be the hired help. He must not truly care that Jesus is dead. And she almost misses it. We can't be too hard on Mary because I think some of us miss the resurrection year after year, Easter after Easter. And we wonder why we're not transformed because there are life-changing things that are happening in the story that we sometimes overlook. We're sometimes just focused on the religious routine and we think that's what we need. And that's not what Mary needed. Then we've got Thomas. It says that the disciples were meeting and locked in a locked room for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Thomas wasn't actually with them in this encounter, but Jesus appears to them. He just comes in the room, just appears in the locked room. And, and he says, peace be with you. And they are overjoyed, and yet they doubt in the midst of that. They think somehow, some way, that the locked doors are going to bring them life. They're going to keep them alive. Ever think about that? That maybe the leaders or the disciples, the people who'd been closest to Jesus, the people who had heard him say that he was the Son of God, that heard him say that he would die and rise again. These people were living by locked doors, thinking that those were going to bring them life. When I was a kid, uh, I, would, I had a f- sister who was four years younger than me. 
and, and I, we really liked to play. We were, we were a high-intense MVP, most valuable player. That means we played all the time, at least in our house. And so sometimes, sometimes, when, especially when my sister was, you know, four, five, or six, and I was nine, 10, or 11, she would come to me and she would say, can I play with you? You know, something annoying like that. And so I would say, maybe I'd say yes if my parents glared at me. And then sooner or later, she'd touch one of my toys. I would get very frustrated and I would yell, stomp out of the room and I'd lock myself in my room and I'd surround myself with my toys and I would go, yes, now I can play. And what I meant is now I have life. And that usually lasted for about 10 minutes or so. Because then I would hear, sounds from the other room, from the living room. I'd hear my sister squealing in, in a fun way. I'd hear my dad in his loud, fun voice, which is different than his loud, mean voice, but in his loud, fun voice, it was, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, and all of a sudden, I'd hear this stomping or this movement, this pitter-patter on the floor that would make tap dancers envious and sumo wrestlers kind of proud, and there would be all this life happening in the other room that I was not a part of. Because I thought life was going to be found in my locked room surrounded by my stuff. I missed so many moments because of what I thought I saw. And Jesus, he comes to interrupt our lives to show us what we can't see. Maybe you're trying to find life in something that really isn't bringing you life whether it's a major in college that you're just afraid to change, whether it's a satisfying career that, that you want to build a reputation and get some respect and, and do something with your life that you feel like that people will be proud of you and that you'll get respect from and you'll be able to contribute to, to a family or to the greater world. And, and there's nothing wrong with either of those two things. It's just that they might not be the ways to find life. Sometimes it happens more subtly. We find life in a healthy body. We think if we exercise and eat right, that that, that will bring us life. And it certainly will extend our life. God, I mean, we want to have a strong heart. We want to have a body that can, can move us forward. But sometimes we can become too focused on that. And we can miss what really will bring us life. Some of us get, get stuck in religious routines. Whether it's Easter or whether it's every week, we think that these religious rituals will bring us life, except sometimes they don't. Sometimes they actually are a block for us to miss what will truly transform us. Mary was stuck in her religious routine. Thomas was stuck in his certainty. He really wanted the evidence. He said, unless I see the nail marks, unless I put my hand, my finger in the nail mark, or my hand, his, my hand in his side, I won't believe. Peter, he's not sure quite what to believe. So the next story is that he goes back to his past. He goes back to fishing. That's predictable. I know fishing. I don't know what to believe about Jesus. People keep saying that he's risen from the dead, but I can't quite wrap my head around it, so I'll just go to the predictable thing, and I'll fish. Except the text says he caught nothing. Just like when I was surrounded by all my toys, they really weren't fun. See, we have all these 
situations. We have all these things that we think we're going to bring us life. All these things that we can see, whether they're, whether they're predictable or whether they're religious routine and it's sincere, whether they're stuff surrounding our lives or whether they're, they're the security of the locked door of whatever safety we need in our life or, or the career we need or the family we need or, or the success we need. Jesus knows. Not only are these things not going to bring us life, they're actually going to get us stuck. One Easter, it was March, I was in college studying something I didn't really want to do, ironically. And, and it was midterm time, and so I really wanted to get home. I had done pretty well on my test, but I'd spent a lot of time studying. And it was March, it was an early Easter, there'd just been a snowstorm, kind of like this year. And, and there was two feet of snow on the ground, and yet, Two days later, it's sunny, it's bright. Even though there's all kinds of snow on the ground, the roads are clear, and I think, I just got to get home. If I go home, I'm going to find life. You know, there's free laundry at home, and I'm running out of underwear. I need life in clean laundry, and there's plenty of food in my mom's house, and that's going to bring me some nourishment, and there's people who are not going to give me a grade, I hope at least. They're not going to, you know, critique me. They're just going to love me. I got to get home. And so I'm driving home, and it's bright out, I'm a little tired, and I don't have my sunglasses, and the sun is reflecting off the snow, and the roads are clear, but the sun's reflecting off the road, and it's a four-hour drive, and two hours into this, I'm squinting, and I'm driving, and I'm squinting, and I, I might be getting really tired. And in fact, I'm so drowsy, or I'm so clueless, that, that I see a roadside reflector, and I think it's a car, and I swerve to get out of the way, and I shoot through the snow into the median, and I, I just keep going and going and going. And my little Honda Civic is now, the whole roof of it's covered in snow. The doors are covered up to the windows. And I look back, even though my hands are still clutched to the steering wheel. And I'm in the snow, 75 yards. I can't even open the door. I am just completely and utterly stuck. Sometimes, at Easter, the things that we think are going to bring us life actually help us get stuck. And here's the best part of the story. Think about, think about the people that go see Jesus first, that, that Jesus appears to first. Uh, Mary Magdalene, who uh, the other gospel writers say that Jesus had to cast seven demons out of. So, in a woman in that time, wouldn't, her testimony wouldn't hold up in court, and yet Jesus credits her. So, do the disciples run because of Mary or because they didn't believe Mary, but yet Jesus appears to a demon-possessed woman first. And then he appears to Peter, Peter, a man who lied about knowing Jesus, and then runs back to his old life. I bet none of us who've said yes to Jesus have ever run back to our own life, our old life. And then there's Thomas, who just kind of intellectually crosses his arms and say, I just, if I can't explain it, uh, I just can't believe it. These are the people that Jesus interrupts. These are the people that Jesus appears to. That's why John tells these stories around the resurrection, and the actual story of the resurrection is pretty short. Because we don't need to spend a lot of time 
on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. What we need to do is encounter that. We need to go up to that. We need to look at that. We need to reflect on that. And because Jesus interrupts their lives and and those backgrounds, I have to think he's going to interrupt my life. He did. And I offer to you that he wants to interrupt your life too. Not just once. He wants your life to be changed so that Easter can affect your life forever and ever. You know, the Bible says very clearly in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. And sometimes we bristle at that because we don't want to talk about sin or we don't want to talk about death, but, but really at the root, sin is unbelief. Sin is, is unbelief, and unbelief is saying, I want to live by what I can see. If I can't see it, I won't believe it. So if we said that a different way, we might b- just be saying that if the wages of sin is death, that when we work towards things that we can see, unbelief results, and unbelief does not lead us to life. This Easter, have you wrestled with the wages of sin is death? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. You know, this one Friday... This one Friday that we now call good. The God who is love. Not just who loves, but who is love. Supreme, most fundamental element of God is his holiness and his love. A love so pure that we call it holy. This supreme God of the universe, the creator, the one who created everything, comes to us in this humble human life. And he sacrifices his life so that we can live. In his life, in his innocence, he pays for our doubt and our debt and our unbelief. He pays for our intellectual skepticism and our pride. He pays for our seeking after a job and other things that we we think will give us life. All the things that will lead to death, he sacrifices so that he can say, I have given you life. Will you believe me? Will you choose to have the power of Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God? And when you do, you will have life in his name. That's what John says at the very end. That says, the purpose of all of my writing, Jesus said so many miracles, I'm not going to tell you about them, but I write this, the purpose of this book is so that you will know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Mighty One who comes to us in life and then dies and then rises again, the one who conquers sin, who destroys Satan, and who defeats death. Satan, because he tempts us and pulls us away from the things that lead to life. And, and, and death, because, because death itself is leading us away from from life and in sin because each of us are tempted to find life in what we can see and what we can see leads us away from God. He's the Messiah. But he's not only the Messiah, he's also the Son of God. 
He's not a savior that can be manipulated and can be controlled and can be stuck on one Sunday called Easter. He's not the son of God that's going to that's going to answer every doubt. He's not the son of God that's going to calm every fear because then you wouldn't need him. We wouldn't need him if he did all of that, but he is going to comfort us. He is going to calm our fears. He is going to present the reality of the resurrection to us, but in a way that's often surprising, in a way that often interrupts us, in a way that causes us to have to rely on him every moment of every day because he wants your life and my life to be transformed. And when we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, we have life in his name. Not life in our stuff, not life locked up, being safe, not life in superficial things, not life in suburban realities, not life in our predictable life or our job, not life in any of those ways, life in his name. That's what Easter's about when we accept the supernatural element that Jesus rose from the dead and presents himself to us for us to respond day after day after day. If you're the only one on the planet, do you know that Jesus would come to you? And, and just like he comes to Mary and meets her in her religious routine, just like he comes to Peter and meets him in his predictable ha- job of his past, just like he comes to Thomas and meets him in this element of certainty, I have to believe that he would meet us exactly where we need him to, in that exact question that we have. And Jesus didn't condemn them, he didn't criticize them, and he didn't call them out, so I have to believe 